0: reading today is taken from Acts um, 11 and the verses are 19 to um, 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and threw the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul.
1: An old uh, colleague of mine called Graham was once invited by a mate of his for a cup of coffee, where his mate worked, in the city of London. Graham works for a church. He spends his day sharing the good good news of of the Lord Jesus with people. But this mate didn't really know what Graham does. Well, they go to this building where his mate works, and there's this big inscription, you know, where you go in, uh, founded in 1853... And uh, they had said it had uh, branches in I don't know 143 countries, something like that. And they're chatting, and he asks Graham, "How's your work going, then?" And Graham says, "Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, but you must be really filled with, you know, branches in a hundred odd countries uh, going since 1850." And uh, his mate says, "Yeah, is your work encouraging?" Graham says, "Well, why is funny?" He says, "What's funny about it? Well, we're in like every country of the world." Uh, And we've been going a bit longer than 1850, for like 2,000 years. He said, what are you talking about? And Graham said, well, my my boss, he runs a huge operation. And he's going, what, your church? And then he kind of, you know, gets the gist. You know, Christianity, we're so used to to it. Another church round the corner. Another Christian we we come across. But you know, when you pause to think about it, 143 countries... 1850 odd. I mean, it's not a competition. Uh, But you see, this book of Acts shows us that this is God's major business in our world. In our world, God is growing churches. Not buildings. God is creating communities of people who follow Christ. It's what he's up to. It's what history, it's what's going on in history. Acts has a table of, of, of contents It's near the start, we should know it now. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. By chapter 11, look, we're on our way to the ends of the earth. See, uh, first there's this this first non-Jewish convert, Cornelius. And with that breakthrough made, now we're told about the first non-Jewish church established. As if to say, you know, a first non-Jewish convert to Christ its not just a one-off. God is in the business of growing communities of his people throughout the world, starting, as it were, here. Even in Antioch. Even in Hove. But we need to know then, church, church growth, you see, it's a collaboration between God and his people. And today, we'll see what part we're to play in his plan. Now just to say, some of us might think, you know, this subject, growing churches, I mean, that's your job. But no, 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 this is, this is every member ministry. And thank God that it is. Look, would you just imagine that our Prime Minister contacted you personally, and he said, you know, we've got top medical advisors who want you on a committee to eradicate coronavirus. It's hard work, but success is guaranteed, they tell me. Your work and your name will be valued, remembered for centuries. You'd give it some thought, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, you'd you'd take that seriously out of thought. Our Lord Jesus wants each of us to be part of something more significant even than that. Helping to grow churches is not easy, but it is essential and everlasting. Now, before, though, we, we focus then on, on what we must be about in this. I, I do want us to be clear in our minds that church growth is God's work. Yeah, he invites us to be a part of it, but it is his work. So how did God, I mean, we we'll just ask this question for starters. How did God first get gospel messengers outside of Jerusalem? Would you take a look if you've got a Bible? It's verse Verse 19. And just these opening words, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spread in the, good word, the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. It was a brutal persecution of the church in Jerusalem. But it looks to, to wipe out this fledgling movement. But the result in God's hands would, was the opposite. Followers of Jesus were scattered, so the good news of Jesus began to spread, like wildfire. The authorities thought they poured water on the gospel flame, but God's plan actually was for the effect to be more like pouring on petrol. The gospel fire grew and spread. And of course the results of that are not destruction, but glorious life resurrection. Our Father often uses persecution to further his purposes. And so verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. My point is, right from the beginning, let's not think that our strategy or our tactics is what makes the real difference. Growing churches is the work of God. He plans and he executes it all. We're just, as it were, playing our part catching up. you know. Now we do then need to listen to what our part is. And we see here four essential activities. I've got a quick clicker somewhere. Here we go. What makes for a healthy, growing church? That's our question. First up, we all need to keep on speaking to non-Christians of the Lord. We all need to just keep on speaking to non-Christians of the Lord. I wonder if I sound like a crack record saying this I I guess so I know some of you have heard it from me a bit before you got a bit tired of it but it is true it is true and the fact is that some of us are not doing it some of us who profess faith in the Lord Jesus and all of us need reminding of it again and again and again every Christian is to speak to non-Christians of the Lord it is what God's people do I read them quickly Let's read them a bit more slowly from verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. God has a way of getting his people where he wants them to be. If you find yourself in a place you never planned to be, perhaps you never wanted to be, well, God has a reason. And for one thing, it's so that you would speak of your Lord. In fact, wherever we are, however we got there, our plan or not, God has put us there to speak of our Lord to people who don't yet know him. Now, clearly, this is not a task just for a few, just for the professionals. I mean, the guys here, who we don't even know their names it wasn't Saul and, and Barnabas and Billy Graham and, and, and Phil Moon and Simon James Morse. It was everyday Christians. But because they know the Lord, they speak of the Lord. It's a real simple equation. Notice their message and ours is the Lord Jesus. They went around telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And so this may just be a little corrective. I mean, it's not ultimately uh, my story that I need to share. There's nothing wrong with sharing my story. But, you see, I'm not saying to people, become a Christian because it's worked for me. A Buddhist might do that. A a Muslim or an atheist might do that. Um, Our message is Jesus. Sooner rather than later, we're to let non-Christians know. You and I, you, even you, we're to let non-Christians know Jesus is Lord and Saviour and Judge. And friend, you need to turn to him. and When you do, rather than being condemned, you'll know forgiveness and friendship forever with him. So will you do that? That's our message. Sooner or later, as we speak that, some people will turn to him. Now, in their case, in this case, God had prepared many to respond. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Really, this is all there is to this task of evangelism, which means spreading the evangel, the the good news. No one showed them how to speak. You know, they had no handbook on, like, outreach to to, to non-Jews, or, you know, uh, out out of a pepper grinder, or whatever it might be. We kind of worship education, don't we? But but apparently there was no evangelism training here. But they didn't seem to have a well-thought-out strategy. It was simply a case of, well, Jesus tells me to make disciples of the Lord wherever I am. Uh, Here I am. Uh, Here are some non-Christians. I will speak to them of the Lord how many opportunities we miss while waiting for maybe the church staff to give us a lead or while we wait till we're ready if you know the Lord you're ready if you know the Lord you can speak of him and of course you'll want to because he's so brilliant now let's be honest speaking to non-Christians of the Lord it's not what our churches are best at Okay, I, I know some of us are wonderful, some of you are wonderful at it, but for, for many of us, we're, we're not strong. We fail to do it. I'd like to suggest two things that I need to bear in mind and two things that you might bear in mind as well, just to help us get into conversations about the law. Well, actually, three things. Okay, first, just be in decent contact with non-Christians. I mean, again, it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Be in decent contact with non-Christians. And there are so many ways that we can do that, even at this time. Second, in that contact, or as you, you know, pray, pray for opportunities. Third, as you have that contact, intend to speak of the Lord. Okay, so as we go to this place or that, or, or, or we're at home, Zoom, call, whatever it might be, maybe we're at the school gate or on the school playground or the coffee shop, the supermarket, the head, in the park, the office, or whatever it might be, whenever you're connecting with a non-Christian, just say to yourself, in this contact with this non-Christian... I want to tell them of the Lord. And then the chances are, we will. And amazingly, God uses that to bring people to himself. Miracles of conversion happen as everyday believers, like you and I, speak to non-Christians of the Lord Jesus. So there it is. That's the first thing crucial for growing churches evangelism, speaking to non-Christians of the Lord. It isn't the only important thing. And in Antioch, that the seed has been planted, the green shoots of new life have emerged, and now this church needs to be watered. So next up, we all need to keep on being encouraged to remain true to the Lord. Take a look at verse 22. News of this these many turning to the Lord, reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When here... Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll pause there. Look, just to say on this, Barnabas is just the right man for the job, okay? His, 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 his nick, nickname was a Son of Encouragement. Isn't that cool? nicknames in the Bible. Nicknames. I had a nickname for a few years. BBDH. Genuinely. Okay, it stood for Big Brave Dave Howarth. Um, which is odd. It is odd because I'm not particularly big nor particularly brave. It's only really the last bit of it that they got right. Whereas Barney here, you know, Encourager by name, Encourager by... Uh, to see verse 23. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done... He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now, of course, these believers, new believers, they're probably in a bit of a state, aren't they? They've just come to Christ. There must have been loads that they were doing that wasn't what God wants for his people. But Barnabas doesn't focus on what's wrong. He's thrilled, he's glad that they've come to the Lord, And he knew what any of us realise if we've been a Christian for more than ten minutes. They, we, need encouragement to stick with the Lord. Actually, no. Stick with the Lord. It's too weak. Barnabas encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That is what God calls all of us to be. Some churchgoers are in what a friend of mine described as a habit of half-heartedness. Our Lord wants you and I to be wholeheartedly devoted to him, which is better by far. But it is impossible to sustain by ourselves. Did you know this? Are you aware of this? The Christian life, you see, is just too hard. I've developed an assumption, which is that most Christians are discouraged in some way or another and they need encouragement. It's my assumption of Christians. Maybe it's because of a feeling of of, of guilt to do with some sin or whatever. Maybe it's some insecurity. Maybe it's the the wearying battle uh, (coughs) with sin. Maybe feelings of failure uh, in evangelism or just despondency at how how few are turning to the Lord. Perhaps it's it's a sense of failure as somebody looks at their family or past uh, mistakes that they've made. Left unchecked in you and I, that, that is wearying and it can cause a person, you and I, to withdraw and become half-hearted with regards to us and the Lord. We see it time and time again. What we need desperately is encouragement from God's people to remain true to him with all our hearts. When we were going to get married, Hannah and I did some marriage prep, maybe you have, maybe you've, you've, you've given it. It includes some spiritual things and, and also some practical things. But in essence, look, a lot of marriage prep is, is saying it'll be a lot harder than you expect. <laughs> you know, when you live with each other day in, day out and some time goes by, you know, it's harder. You, you, you realise that, you know, they're not always wonderful and you'll irritate each other and you might even argue a bit. And, you know, normally you kind of go, yeah, yeah. But then nine months into marriage, you're like, Oh, can we do that marriage prep again? I think we really need it now. <laughs> it's normally how it works. If continuing with Christ wholeheartedly is right and great, but it's not easy, we need that encour- encouragement from, from others. Perseverance in Christ. It's a, it's a community project. That's why at Holy Cross... When we first started back our in-service uh, uh, Sunday services at 7pm, our first teaching series, after six months not meeting, was seven sermons in the six verses of Psalm 23, to give us deep encouragement that the Lord is our shepherd, and so to remain true to him with all our hearts. Because whether we've been a Christian a day, a week, nine months, 50 years, living for Christ is a battle, we need others to say to us, Jesus is great, he loves you, he's, he's got you, he dealt with your sin, he's powerful in your weakness, he, he's coming back for you, keep going with Jesus, keep going, keep going, keep going. And it's no wonder that some of us are loving these in-person services. Or, or, or you know, and we're on Zoom and, and on WhatsApp, and we're on phone the phone to believers, and we send messages, and we, to give, we're giving and we're receiving encouragement. There are some church members we've barely seen since lockdown began and we all ought to be very concerned about them. Show me someone who has stopped receiving encouragement in the Lord from his people and almost always that is someone who is in the habit of half-heartedness. If that's you or if it's, if it's your children to whatever extent you can please do what you can. Come back, tune in again. Now, of course, this does also mean we need to be giving an encouragement. You know, if we all need it, how are we going to get it? All of us can, and all of us must. And, and it's just a wonderful description. Encouragers are like Barnabas. Verse 23, uh, sorry, 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And just see what, we, what comes next. We see how crucial all this is. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Did you know the power of an encouraged people? A church encouraged in the Lord will bring others to the Lord. Again, it's, it's not rocket science. Okay, so for a healthy, growing church, encouragement is crucial. It's not actually, though, the only input... That we see here that we need. We also need to be taught. We need to keep being taught about the Lord. See, I mean, just imagine all the questions that this, uh, this, this first non Jewish church would have had. Did they have to be circumcised and obey the Jewish law, or was all that done away with? And then, yeah, I, I don't, all the normal questions and issues a new Christian has. But Barnabas needed help in this to pastor this church, and he knew just the man. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Wow. Sign up for that. A one-year teaching course with Saul Look, I guess Barnabas was more of a, more of a teaching assistant. No offence to Barney or T.A.'s. It's just that, I mean, this is Paul, Saul, Paul. He would write over half the New Testament. He is a giant. Now, what's the syllabus? Actually, we're not told directly, but the disciples became known as Christians, Christ people. They were known to be all about Christ. And so Saul and Barnabas must have taught them all about Christ. And life in him. Later on, Saul himself states, states that he taught the whole counsel of God. It's all the Bible. Of course, it's a Christ-centred book. This is what we need. You and I need more than warm encouragement in the Lord. We need to grow, mature as believers. And key to growth is being taught we are then to spend our lifetime as students. To spend our lifetime with the theological L plates on. To spend our lifetime in the school of Christ. There are so many things we might be studying and learning in life, and maybe you are a, a skill, a hobby, a, a subject, that, that the football scores. But more than anything, we need to be learning Christ. It's why Bible teaching is at the heart of, of all that we do as, as, as churches here our services, our small groups, and of course our kids' groups. I'm so thrilled that our children's and youth groups are not just babysitting or hangouts. Our young people are taught Christ. And they need that even more than anything they will learn at school. But of course, uh, uh, having teaching in the program is one thing. In our passage, though, great numbers of people turned up to be taught and it's worth us asking ourselves, I wonder if you'd ask this of yourself, am I hungry to be taught? Maybe in the past, more than you are now. Maybe in the past, eager to learn of Christ and live for him, but not so much anymore. We are all hungry for something. Just look at whatever we spend lots of time on. What better than to learn Christ? Uh, now, with a hunger for teaching, what, how will that kind of be expressed? Well, yes, absolutely. We'll be, we'll be coming to you know, the, the staples of, of, of listening to the word, in, or connected with, you know, um, tuning into church and, uh, and small groups too. But then, of course, we won't just stop at the bare kind of as it were minimum. We'll want extras. we'll we had uh, in August at Holy Cross a couple of teaching evenings and, um, and there was a book group and then earlier in the summer there was, there was an Introducing Acts session. We might like to uh, uh, engage with a second Sunday service or, or meet with a Christian one-on-one to read the Bible, regularly reading Christian books or go to or tune into a Christian conference or, or get involved with the SGP, a training course. Do we see? Do we see? For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And isn't that wonderful? They were so known for teaching, believing, proclaiming that Jesus is Christ, that a new name was coined for them by the Antioch locals, Christians. Actually, it's probably in- intended as an insult. When it was first used. You know, you know, the Muslim hates being called a Mohammedan because he claims not to be a follower of the prophet Muhammad. But one who has submitted to the will of Allah. Christians are delighted to be called by the name of Jesus Christ. It can never be an insult for you and I. We must not be ashamed to be associated with Christ, to be known as a Christian. Okay, then the seed's been planted. It's been watered by, by Saul and Barnabas. And, and that in God's hands, means great fruitfulness for a church. We've seen the fruit of numerical growth um, and of the reputation of Christ's people in in their local area. But from verse 27, we see a different kind of dimension to this fruitfulness, which is that they provided for needy people. Even people a little way away, people they hadn't met. In particular, God's people. And we too then, we too need to keep providing for the family of the Lord. Verse 27 During this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch One of them named Ag- Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius and Just the note here Prophecy in Acts is first and foremost a gift that every believer has Did you know you have it if you're a believer? This is from chapter 2. Every believer is a prophet in that we can speak the word to others, sharing the word of God with those who who are God's people and who aren't. So if you've been taught that the the prophecy just belongs to, to one or two people, you've been taught by someone who is shrinking the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But also in the book of Acts, there are a very few who are particularly gifted as prophets, including some, like Agabus, who are gifted at predicting the future. And no doubt, these new Christians longed to know what the future held for them. So, what's the message God gives them? Is it a picture of the eventual triumph of the Christian faith? Is it a vision for the most effective missionary strategy amongst non Christian friends? No, God gives them an opportunity for self sacrifice. The gift of prophecy, you see, is not Luke's concern. The the, the concern here is what are you going to do with this message? There's this church, Jerusalem, they're going to starve. What are you going to do? Verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. It's a wonderful picture of fellowship where the unity of Jew and Gentile in Christ is displayed. The word came from Jerusalem. The pastors too, but it's not one-way traffic. Equally, there's no sense of a big brother church or a little brother church. There's no Jerusalem paternalism, just brothers and sisters in the one family of the Lord. Again, probably not met in many cases, but concerned with supporting each other rather than concerned with their own comfort. And I love seeing that between churches, including between our churches, Bishop Hannington, Goldstone and Holy Cross. Verse 29 is interesting, isn't it? The disciples, each one was able, decided to provide, and this, they did. It's slightly slippery phrase, maybe, to, on our, ears. each is able, you know, yeah, uh, what have I got left over? What's in my pocket? You know, a few shrapnel, a couple of quid, uh, you can have that, or, you know, w- w- whatever it is, you know, I, I need, um, Got to get in place my three houses and then uh, we'll see what's left over. Or, you know, my three holidays and my trips out and my daily coffee and paper and my cars and my sky sports and so on. And and after that, uh, hopefully there'll be some uh, left over. We can fool ourselves. If our regular spending was more according to what we need rather than what we want, then I'd suggest we would be able to give rather more we'd have rather more, as it were, left over. I need to reflect on that myself, for sure. But you see, such giving isn't a chore. You don't get that impression with them, do you? Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give up. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give up. And so for Luke, this response much more than the prophecy, that's much more significant than the fulfilment of the prophecy is this response. It's as if he's saying, let me show you the really miraculous aspect here. It's not that a person should foretell a famine. It's that human nature should start to reflect the values of Jesus Christ. That's the true miracle. It's the power of the gospel in a person's life. As we wrap up, Gardening has become a bigger deal for us at home, uh, more recently than it used to be. One thing we haven't yet used, but I, I remember as a, as a kid from my my mum gardening Miracle Grow. I, I'm told it's amazing. Water anything with it, and you know it'll grow. Even 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 my house plant that always. What's the magic formula that will have the same effect on churches? Well, we look at the life of the church in Antioch. It's it's all of us speaking to non-Christians of the Lord, being encouraged to remain true to the Lord, being taught about the Lord, providing for the family of the Lord. There's more you can add, but that's what's here in chapter 11. Now at the West, you see, it's a tough environment for growing churches. Lots of obstacles. Growth is slow. Lots of people are hostile or just don't care. We're tempted, then, to not bother joining in this growth, church growth project or to change our methods to get be more popular. The book of Acts, though, restores our confidence. Seeing God grow, this little group of believers, into a worldwide phenomena. The God of Acts 1.8 is unchanging. His purpose of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth is unchanging. His ability to overcome every obstacle, is unchanging. His methods of starting and establishing new churches, growing churches, are unchanging. And so these are the tasks for us and our churches to give ourselves to. These are the things to spend our big bucks on and our time on and our prayers on. And as we do, we trust that God will give the fruit. It is one of the things that struck me looking at the Church of Antioch. New and vulnerable as it was, just what a difference one local church can make. Let's pray together. And so we thank and praise you, our God, for those who have taken this seriously in this place. Growing churches. Sharing the word. Sharing resources. We praise you, Father God, for what you have achieved, even in this place. We, We pray, Lord God, that you would make us men, women, boys and girls, like these people. We read about here. May our churches grow in number and in maturity and might many in our city, our country, even in our, in our world, benefit from us taking this charge seriously. For Jesus' sake, amen.